Um, Abba Father, you are good and you are kind, and I am grateful for you. Um, how you show your, your faithfulness and your love for us. And Lord, you call us to be unashamed followers of your son, Jesus Christ, to not be ashamed of the gospel, to talk about the death story, the resurrection story of your son, Jesus, and talk about the difference that he's made in our lives. God, I ask your favor and grace upon this this, this worship time, the time to get in your word, to experience truth that comes from you and your spirit. Not because I am right and good, because you are God, and you are right, and you are good. And we are not, and we depend completely upon you. Have mercy on us, O oh God, and bless right now. Those listening online, please give them hearts to believe, ears to hear, and eyes to see. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm excited. Let's, let's get into the text. So, reminder, Philippians 2, 13 and 14, simply teaches us that God's, at work. God's working. This is a work zone. Our lives are a work zone. And God is accomplishing all kinds of things in us. And he does so in, in things like catching every stoplight when you're in a hurry or, or uh, the reality of marriage, which is basically that someone's always in the way in the kitchen or whatever it is that's going on with our lives, irritating bosses, irritating employees, something. God is at work in our lives and he uses all kinds of stuff to accomplish his good pleasure inside of us. How about this one? We, we looked last Sunday about... People who are grumblers, the grumbler disputers and the disputing grumblers kinds of people, there's folks that like to complain. Basically, in modern vernacular, there's people who really like to complain and talk behind the back, and there's people who really like to argue. <laughs> That's what he's saying. There's people that are very argumentative, and there are people who are talk behind your back, and they're very dangerous in church. And they're dangerous in relationships. And he's saying, hey, that can't be us. That's not who we are in Christ. This morning, I want to look at Timothy and give you the big picture of why Timothy is such an important person in Paul's life. So I'm going to read from the text, New American Standard. It reads as follows. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming to you shortly. Wow. A fascinating introduction to Timothy in Paul's relationship with him. Really amazing. Let's look at this. I want to I introduce you to a couple of critical ideas of what's going on in the letter. When you read Philippians from beginning to end, you get a presentation that there are people who are very ideal who are setting a good example, who model well, and there's people who don't, all right? And Paul sees these people who model well as self-empty people. They're empty of self. 
And the people who are not good examples are the people who are full of themselves. Okay. Now, where do we get that idea? We get it from Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he was in the form of God, didn't consider equality with God something to grab at or fight for, but instead emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. All right, That's where Paul gets the, this idea that the, the full life comes from an empty self. Do you understand? A full life, an abundant life, comes when we empty ourselves of our selfishness and the pettiness in our lives and we pursue the will of God. And that's when life really, really gets awesome. So who are some of these, these uh, self-emptied people? Well, first of all, it's Paul. How's that? Um, Paul, right off the bat, 12 to 26, starts describing his life. And Brian, he's doing it in his way like he's not embarrassed to talk positively about himself. He says, hey, here's what's going on with me. I'm in prison and things are going really well. In fact, the gospel is just... It's getting pushed out. It's amazing. And in fact, the guys chained to me are getting saved. <laughs> and so I ain't ashamed of nothing. And it's really amazing what's going on in Philippi. And then he gets on. And you know what? If I had a choice, I went off the rock. I want out of here. Because if I'm with Jesus, it's really, really better. But you know what? You need me here. And so I choose the harder thing to stay, to be with you. Because I know that if I work hard for you, it's going to be for your benefit. And so he's, he's already presenting himself, hey, I'm self-emptied. I got over myself a long time ago. Did you catch that? I got over myself a long time ago. Wow. And then he says, Jesus, he's the next example of a self-emptied person. Obviously, the epitome of it. Philippians 2, 5 to 11. And then he brings in Timothy, another example of a self-emptied person, and then Epaphroditus, and then again, he brings himself in view here. Hey, here's another reason why I'm self-emptied. He said, you think you got stuff to brag about? Literally, you think you're proud of your body? <laughs> Let's talk about pride. And he walks through a litany of his, Randy, it's like his resume, his curriculum vita. He said, I am a Pharisee of Pharisee. I am a Hebrew of Hebrew. And when it comes to Torah, I'm blameless. Can anybody here say they have not violated at least one time one of 613 laws? Paul said, when it comes to Torah, I'm blameless. You want, you want to engage in bragging in a battle of wits with a very well-armed man? Fine. <laughs> let's, let's go. He said, I'm flawless. I'm blameless. And then he says this, to demonstrate that he got over himself a long time ago. I consider all that as waste, as human waste, uh, the, the word skuas, human waste as a garbage heap, like at the local dump, all those terms. I consider it all as skuas, as a waste, as trash in comparison to what he has accomplished in me. Wow. And then he does it again. <laughs> Talks about himself again. Chapter 4, 10 to 20, about how he's learned to be content in all things. It, do, it, 
doesn't matter if he has lots of food or no food. I've learned the secret of being content in all things, when I have a lot or when I have a little. Another example of a self-emptied person. And then you've got the example of people who are still full of themselves. And these are selfish and manipulative creatures in the Philippi area, or rather the Roman area, who are literally preaching the gospel with an ill motive, literally trying to do Paul harm and potentially sway a jury against him. They didn't like Paul. They're full of themselves. And then you have the grumblers and complainers, Philippians 2, 14 and 15. They're argumentative and they complain a lot. And they'll do it behind your back. And then you've got the dogs, the Judaizers. Real quick comment. What that means is uh, Paul was, um, he, he was a loose cannon. Paul was a troublemaker. Paul was, was a man you couldn't control. And he really, the Jews didn't know what to do with him. This was a man who had a reputation of being the best of the best, the Pharisee of Pharisees, and all of a sudden, he says 613 rules don't apply. Let's drop it down to four, at which is absurd that a Jew would do that. So he's already a major troublemaker to drop the laws down to four. And then he keeps picking at one of those and tries to drop it down to three. It's like if that's not enough, from 613 to four, and now from four to three, Paul is literally a troublemaker. And so because of that, there were some Jews who had actually become Christians that thought Paul was getting it wrong. When I was a little boy, I would hunt pheasant with my dad in Massachusetts. And I have my dad's antique shotguns, by the way, from that very hunt, Brian, hunting, and they're pretty awesome to me. We would hunt grouse and we would hunt pheasant. And we had a dog that was a purebred Brittany Springer Spaniel bred to hunt pheasants. And Terry, you remember that stuff. And while we were out hunting, working the cornfields, cold, frost everywhere, our dog would smell and pick up the, the, the scent of a pheasant and the genetics would kick in and it was absolutely fascinating to watch how that dog would work that bird. And he would lock on, laser lock, and he would actually be quivering <laughs> because everything inside of him wanted to go and get that bird, but he wouldn't move and he was shaking with the intensity of the genetic code inside of him. And then my dad would give the command and he would charge at that bird, the bird would flush, and then my dad, should he, uh, uh, you know, should he hit the target, we would have pheasant for dinner, okay? Dogs pursue things. Judaizers, these are the people that function like dogs. They would get on Paul's scent, they would chase him down where he'd been, and if he was in Philippi, then, then, uh, Lee, these Judaizers like dog would get on the trail, go to Philippi, and then gather the people that he had just taught and tell them that Paul was wrong. And they need to forget what Paul says and listen to what they say. So Paul would build the church up. The Judaizers, the dogs would come and tear the, tear the church down and try to make it Jewish. Does this make sense? Full of themselves, people. Not self-emptied, full of themselves. And then you have this really, really delicate situation where Euodia and Syntyche are, are 
full of themselves, but they're not. <laughs> they're they're kind of in between. So I'm putting them in the full of themselves category because Paul calls them out, not for good reasons, for bad reasons. They're not getting along. In fact, probably they are a part of the talking behind your back, disturbing harmony in the church, grumbling, complaining, and arguing kind of people. And it's creating division in the church. In all likelihood, that is a part of the backstory. But at one time, they were co-evangelists. They were preaching the gospel side by side with Paul out on the front lines. And at one time, they were empty of themselves. And it was amazing and it was productive. But something clicked. And they, they lost sight of the mission. They turned inward and they began to be competing females in the church and it was starting to cause lots and lots of harm. All right, there you go. And Paul sets these, these folks up as examples. So when you read Philippians, you go, ah, pay attention to these people and don't be like those people. So Paul sets up Timothy as an example of a self-emptied person. What are those qualities? You see the text lower on the slide. Let's just draw straight from the text what it means to be self-empty. This is amazing. Timothy is a kindred spirit with Paul. A kindred spirit. Notice the Greek word. You can kind of read it. Does anybody, has anyone ever done any exercise like this? You work your bicep that way? What's that called, Ed, when you do these kind of exercises? Um, overcoming isometrics. Yeah, isometrics. Isos. Equal, same, metric of measurement. The same amount of pressure going up, same amount of pressure going down, and it's a great way to work your muscles. Okay, you got it. Paul uses that word, isos, iso, same, and then he says soul, isosukas. The same psychology, the same soul. He says that Timothy and Paul have the same soul. In fact, he uses really elite language. Timothy is the only one who has my soul. There's nobody else like Timothy in my life. He's the only one who has the same soul. Paul sets him up as an example to be followed because Timothy has the same soul that Paul has. Timothy also has a very genuine concern. In that term, it's really interesting, a little challenging to translate, goes something like this. Based on genetic family relationships, I'm committed to you. Based on the depth of blood level relationships, I'm genuinely committed to you. Um, in my journey in this life, I have had the privilege of becoming friends with, I can't count them, amazing believers, truly concerned for me. And Lisa and I and our girls have also had relationships in which there were people who had a concern for us only because they had a hidden agenda. And, and once, once things didn't go the way they wanted, then the concern was shut up. Sometimes people can be controlling and manipulative. That's not Timothy. Timothy is genuinely concerned almost and on a blood genetic level for the Philippians. He's got Paul's heart. 
He's got Paul's concern for these people. Timothy is self-emptied in this way. He's just simply not seeking after his own interest. He's seeking after theirs. So that's why he's an example. Number four, he has proven worth. Uh, great translation, uh, to prove, uh, to make something pure, something that's genuine, something that's real. He has proven worth. Now, it's interesting. He's, it's been proven over and over and over again. He's the guy that didn't get it right once and failed 99 times. He the guy, he's the guy that consistently gets it right. And number five, he's committed to the gospel. He's committed to furthering the gospel. Um, I can tell you right now that when we have a low value, low view, low value, a low priority of the gospel, we will get off track and we'll become full of ourselves. And then lastly, Timothy is a servant. He is the heart of a servant. In fact, it's service at a level that it would be an obedient child serving his father is the language that he uses. So there you go. Six reasons why Timothy is a self-emptied man. He's got the same heart as Paul. Isasuke. He's genuinely concerned as though he's family. He's self-emptied because he's not seeking his own interests, but theirs. He has proven worth again and again and again. Timothy is committed to the gospel. He's not ashamed of the gospel. And he has the heart of a servant. And he serves Paul just like a father would his own, a child would his own father. Beautiful, beautiful language. Okay, I want us to own this because this is important. Um, let's think... It's kind of stirred up a bit here. What kind of relationships do you have? Okay. Do you have a Timothy in your life? <laughs> How about that one? Anybody here got a Timothy? Don't raise your hands. Uh, anybody here got a Timothy? Any Timothy's got a Paul? You know, where are you in your relationships? Okay. Anybody got a Paul? Anybody got a Timothy? Uh, I think we need both. I need to be a Timothy to a Paul. Uh, where I am in my life, hard to find. Hard to find. Uh, and I think every Paul needs a Timothy. Was Paul married? Anybody pop quiz? Was Paul married? Anybody? No. No. Thank you, Margaret. Anybody say yes? Anybody? Historically, Margaret, it's possible that he was. Because he might have brought a Yeah, but she maybe died. So from what we're gathering, Paul is single. Right? Doesn't he say, be like me, be single? Marriage just slows you down for on our, our mission, evangelism. You know, it's true. And see, that is his version of an amen. And I love that. And so, yeah, if you're going to be out doing missions and evangelism, wife's going to slow you down. Husband's going to slow you down. Let's go. Stay single. Get focused. Cars is coming any minute now. Not time for marriage. There's 1 Corinthians 7. You're welcome. You're welcome. Okay. So, Mark, as far as you know, he's single now. Maybe married back then. Does he have kids? I don't know. We don't know. Uh, we, we know he does have some relatives. The scriptures do say that, blood relatives. Uh, anybody here struggle with not having kids? And there's something inside of you, you long to have a baby? Any parents long to have their children back? You lose your child to rebellion or uh, horrible things, death, car, premature death? Yeah, and it rips your guts out as a mom or a dad. Yes. And then you have children who long to have a parent. What was going on in Paul's heart? I don't know. 
Was he a dad waiting to happen <laughs> and found Timothy, who didn't have a dad, Lee? Because evidently died young. You know, he, it was past tense is used describing his, his lineage. And so he got raised by two women, his mom and grandma. Yeah. You got any Timothys in your life? You got any Pauls? If we could be candid for just a moment, sometimes our relationships are temporary, short-term, or very unhealthy because you got two full of self-people, two full of self-people trying to get along. And if two people are full of themselves, Randy, what's going to happen? Yeah, because control's the issue at that point. And if you got two people trying to control, it ain't going to work. If you've got one power controller and one who's broken and passive, is that healthy? And you can put that on any side of the dynamic. It's just not healthy, right? Something beautiful happens in our relationships when two self-emptied people who follow the way of Jesus find each other and agree to advance the kingdom of God. That's awesome, okay? All right. You are the gifted body of Christ. Your counsel matters. There are people listening live stream. They need to hear your counsel. There are people who are going to download the podcast and listen. What you say matters. There are folks listening all around the U.S. I trust you that you have the ability to speak the heart of God. It's a privilege. Own it. Now that you understand the text. And that Paul is setting up examples. These are the self-emptied people, just like Jesus. These are the full of self people, not like Jesus, not so much. Why does this matter? Why is this important? How would it affect Christ church? How would it affect our relationships with each other? In here, outside of this place? You're the body of Christ. How do we live this out? What do you think? mentor or somebody to help disciple us, sharpen us, so that we can see things such as world, world politics, world, global um, things that are going on. We can see things through the lens of the Holy Bible, the Word of God. So I think it's very important, no matter how grown up we get in our faith, and how much of a non-baby Christian we are anymore. I just think it's really important that we find people that can um, help grow us further. Yeah, I agree. Does Proverbs say something about iron sharpening iron? Yeah. And we need people that are going to, that love us, that we know love us enough that they're going to call us out. Yeah. We allow each other to share what's going on. We don't judge each other. 
But then at the end of it, it's like, okay, let's get some perspective on that from God's word. Yeah. And it yeah. is so, there's, there's just nothing, there's nothing like it. Yeah. But there's so few of those relationships yeah. to yeah. be so, Edie, you nailed it. That's ironing, iron sharpening iron, right? We get it out there. We get honest without judgment because judgment's going to mess the whole thing up, right? But once, once you're honest and it's on the table, then you can sift through it and say, hey, that's not healthy. This is healthy. You get direction, correction. Yeah, absolutely. It's beautiful. That's iron sharpening iron. Yeah. By the way, which causes friction, right? You've seen the sparks fly when you grind, get metal on a grinding wheel. Absolutely. So, hey, Jen, I'm so glad you're here. Someone else, the wizard. Why does this matter in the brilliance of Paul saying, hey, this is a guy you need to follow his example? What do you think? Someone else, speak words of wisdom. And somebody online, Stephen, too. Also, uh, Andrew. Andrew, you've spoken profound wisdom right there. Because in my perspective, the American spirit is that throw away the old one, get a new one, no matter what it is. And that includes a spouse. That includes a kid. That includes a church. It includes a friend. It doesn't matter. If, if it gets frustrating, get rid of it. It's broken. Put it in the trash. Get a new one. And, and so we're really good at throwing things away. Yeah. Chris, what I see in Paul's relationship with Timothy is someone who knows someone intimately enough to be able to endorse them that way. And yes. He's yeah. saying these things, we can read it as, well, good, he's giving him an attaboy, Timothy's good man, but no, he, it's because he knew him intimately, it's as if God knows us so intimately, and when was they made, not to that level, obviously, but because he knew there was an investment made on the part of Timothy and on the part of Paul to be able to endorse that kind of uh, person to his people. And for him, for both Paul and Timothy, that was a big deal. It was a big deal to endorse someone to be able to put that care and trust of someone. Mm. And yeah. go beyond just saying, I'm so proud to bring him to you. But he's saying, this guy's worth bringing to you because I know him well enough. And in the 21st century, I think it's Yeah, yeah. That's, that's brilliant. And, and that takes time, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, it takes courage to be vulnerable. And you 
can't have that kind of relationship without yeah. someone taking the first step to be courageous enough to, to be vulnerable with another person. Yeah. And when yeah. you do that, people, it, it opens the door and frees the other person to go, okay, I can, I can share what's going on right. here. Right, right. Edie, do you remember how Paul described Timothy? Remember he says, hey, Timothy, God didn't give us a spirit of fear. Remember that? Yeah. Evidently, they, they got vulnerable. Timothy got vulnerable. Paul said, hey, I'm struggling with fear. I really do. And, and so Paul brings up the issue of fear a lot with Timothy, actually. And even says to Timothy, says, Randy, don't be ashamed of my change. It's like, I think Timothy's afraid he's going to get arrested. I think it's part of what it is. And take, don't be embarrassed that I'm, I'm in trance. It's okay. It's okay. I think that's part of the fear. So, yeah, um, Andrea, what you said is brilliant. Let's develop that a little bit more. How does God treat us when we sin against him? And as far as I know, everybody in here sins against God. Unless there's a super saint and you've reached sinless perfection, as a, as a Pentecostal told me one time. How does God treat us, you know? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Boy, if you want to get the heart of Jesus, read Luke 7. Absolutely amazing. Wow. This is so good. The same soul, genuine concern. None of this faking it, Jesus, churchy language stuff. Hey, brother, you know, none of that stuff. The real stuff, genuine concern, genuine love, self-emptied. Proven, we're consistent in it. It's not the mood of the moment. We're consistent with it. There's a genuine commitment for the gospel, Randy. Not ashamed of the gospel. And then we're, we have a servant's heart like a child would uh, obey a father. Or as Phoebe perfectly obeys Rebecca and Stephen. Or Carson obeys. Yes, that kind of obedience. Thank you for laughing. So, <laughs> the way a child obeys dad. Okay, Stephen, something online. Yeah, Jennifer Burgess uh, wants someone to elaborate on uh, the meaning of without judgment and iron sharpening iron without judgment. What does that look like? Okay. Christchurch, own it. I get a thumbs up from Campbell. He's ready for this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now we're getting into shaming. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is really big. Okay, Janice.
in the Bible or the verses that I'm recalling may be different from the ones the other person is. And by bringing those words together, then I think that that is what is the sharpening of the iron. Wonderful. Someone else. How do we do this step without being judgmental, Terry? If you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're obligated to be consistent. Yes. And the life you lead is a lesson you teach. Mm, Say that again. The life you lead is a lesson you teach. Wow, you nailed it. And you need to do that every day. Or at least make the effort to do it every day. I know I'm not successful at doing that. But I I make the effort to do it. And to me, being a Christian means that you are sincerely trying to lead uh, a Christ-like life. Yeah, that's so, so good too. Empty yourself out, put faith in Him. It will be returned a hundredfold. Mm, that's so good. Yeah, Terry, you're getting at when Paul says Timothy has proven worth. The way he lives his life, day in, day out, week in, week out, etc., proves that he is setting the right example. He's a self-emptied man. Yep, that's good. Um, Jennifer, one more comment for you regarding that question, and thank you for asking that question. The word judgment, there's two types of words in the Greek New Testament. One is a word, diokrino. The idea here is I'm going to judge because I have to say something uh, in very accurate and clear terms, but my motive is restoration. Right, Andrea, restoration. The other word, very similar, is I'm going to judge you not with the intent to restore you. I'm judging with the intent to shame and isolate from you. That's the bad step. That's what we want to avoid. Okay, Stephen? Yeah, Christina, Sarah's responding to Jennifer, says, iron sharpens iron. There is humility and a non-defensive posture. The most powerful exchange between believers that makes us stand out is our humility to forgive one another and commit to unity in Christ. Thank you, Christina. When iron sharpens iron, you look, there's a little piece of something coming off. (laughs) Yes. Kind of the difference between hurt and harm. You know, sometimes for me to get better, I have to hurt. To be permanently damaged, I'm going to be be harming. So if if I have a friend and I see something, if he keeps on doing that, it's going to harm him. I might have to hurt a little bit to to call him back. A little little meal come off, a little him will come off. We'll be closer for it, but left unspoken to, unaddressed, then there'll be harm. It'll harm the body. Yeah, yeah. That's so goodly. Ed? A couple of things on that on that metaphor of iron sharpening iron. In that situation, you've got neither of those things are weak. It's iron and iron. Which are both very strong, yeah. And there's there's a strength. To, it requires a certain amount of strength to be vulnerable. <coughs> the weak thing is to hide and, and pull away and hide from it. The strong thing is to be vulnerable and say, I need sharpening. And then there's a mutuality to it as well, where both sides are getting sharper um, by, by the exchange. 
hope that if there's that communion between those two people choosing to uh, interact in that way, I'm, I'm choosing to be strong enough, to be vulnerable, to be allowed to be, have the rough things taken off so that I can be sharper. And I'm opening myself up to accept what your vulnerability. I'm being strong enough to accept your vulnerability and do that with humility myself. And, and, in that, and in that way, I mean, how often have you had someone come to you and be vulnerable about something and you find yourself growing stronger from the exchange mm. and from, you know. And then also, too, consider the difference between when iron is being sharpened by iron versus iron, Lee was talking about damage being done. It's when the, it's when the blades are whacking like that in conflict that damage is done. It's when they come together in a mutuality, we're gonna we're gonna get better here together. That the, that the iron gets sharp. Yeah, that is so good. Well, yeah. I'll just do that one too. Before we put on the shelf by ourselves, what does it do? Rust. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to repair a deck yesterday. Ed, I so needed you. <laughs> You're brilliant. Um, in the course of trying to get some wood replaced, which is very difficult. And anyway, I'm, trying to, I'm using deck screws to, to bolt this stuff in or sink it in. And I'm putting so much force at a bad angle, it's a leverage issue, and I'm putting so much force on the, the big three-inch screw that the bit shattered. You know, too much force on the iron and it'll, it'll, it'll break, right? But the right amount in the right way can become sharp and become an effective tool. This is so good, this is so good, yeah. Someone else, Stephen, online or... Uh, Greg, yes, sir. I like how God is so wise because he gives us the word, which is a spiritual application to apply to the natural. And then we have the natural that teaches to connect back to the spiritual because in the natural, if you want to get out of debt, you save and quit spending. If you want to be healthy, you know, you exercise and you kind of cut back. So that's like the physical. And the word, I like how he gives us very practical, real-life applications, and then we think about it, okay, it's like talk about the silversmith, how he refines silver mm -hmm. until he sees the reflection mm -hmm. of the finished product, and since he's doing this, this silver is important, and he talks about coming forth the pure gold, so all these processes take time, it takes a little effort, it does take sacrifice, because, you know, we don't sit there and say, oh, that's too hot, I want to get out of fire, you know, we do, but if we want to be refined, we submit ourselves to that process. Yeah. So yeah. no matter where we go, yeah. if you want to be a self-envious person, you're going to go through a process. Yes, sir. You're going to be tempered, tampered, however you want to look at it. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, that's so good. Great. In fact, Greg, when you read the book of Acts, you see where Timothy is engaging in mission is engaging in mission work with Paul. Again and again and again. A lot of proven worth, a lot of involved, uh, a lot of contact in a high pressure. Uh, stress of, of doing evangelism in a very dangerous world. So absolutely. This is so good. This is so good. Someone else maybe online? Anybody? Comment? Do you have a question about this? Uh, Joseph? Sir. I want to go. 
things are kind of self-developing like, you know, physical fitness and stuff like that. That's good too, but to be really self-empty in your yeah. major life goals and directions need to be less about making yourself great and more about making God's name great. You just quoted Isaiah on many levels in that. Thank you to make God's glory known. Can I, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Can you help us understand how Paul, from his former life as Saul, became self-empty? Yeah, nailed it. Great question. What happened on the road to Damascus? I'm commenting, Randy, on on things where I'm reading between the lines on Scripture. Okay, you can't really proof text this. People who are rule keepers, rule makers, and rule keepers enjoy that power, but only for so long. Some of the people to me who are the most empty-hearted and the most empty-headed people are those who are the most lawful people. I think Paul was an empty, broken man, but I think he was blameless in terms of keeping the law. And I think people can get so involved in the control issues of life that they set up a false sense of pride. It sets up... Like, I'm, I'm so happy I'm keeping all the rules and making others keep the rules. Aren't I happy? Huh? I'm so happy. But deep down inside, they are miserable, empty, broken people. And I think Paul knew that. Saul knew that, I should say. Right? On the outside, he wasn't going to bend. He wasn't going to break a rule. On the inside, I think he was an empty, broken man. And then when he got to... And by the way, I think what God used was when he would arrest a Christian and how that Christian acted. I think that broke Paul. There's something irritating about godly people, you know? They're just something that'll bring out something rotten inside of you. And I think they did. When they arrested him and didn't retaliate, when he cursed, they didn't curse back. When he abused, and in fact, if you read the text closely, Randy, Paul was engaging in the process of murder. And when the victim is speaking graciously to you, there's no Teflon coating for that, unless there's true mental illness, by the way. And I think that's, that set Paul up for a dramatic encounter with, in which he encountered Jesus. And once that happened, he began to see Jesus like never before. And in fact, some scholars say that, that Paul may have been around when Jesus was actually in Jerusalem. And Paul may have actually caught a glimpse of Jesus. But regardless, Randy, when Paul began to focus on who Jesus, try to settle up on this Messiah, because it was a foreign idea to a Jew, I think he became completely broken. And I think he realized that the way the way that Jesus showed is the way of self-emptying. And that was so foreign to Paul. But it was a fragrance of what is healing like he had never seen before. It was a freedom that the law could not give. And that's when Paul chose to empty himself because he understood 
why Jesus emptied himself. I think that's what happened. Yeah. So, yeah, I think so. Yes, sir. Sure is. I mean, how do you argue with that? There's no defense. Yeah. And yeah. You may walk away like. Yeah. In fact, Greg, we forget the last part of that verse. Against such things, there's no law. Which means you can't fight against love, joy, peace, faith. You can't fight against it. There's no law against it. You can't. It's amazing. So, our one observation from, from the, the counseling perspective you ready for this? People who are self emptied. Amen. Whoa. People who are self emptied. Okay. Are not easily irritated. Soak that one up. The people who are self-emptied are not so easily irritated. Why? Why do you think? Madison, why do you think? give you some wisdom. You ready for this? People who uh, have high levels of control, okay, that can mitigate against anxiety. The higher your control, the less your anxiety. Bear with me. Bear with me. The less control, the higher the anxiety. Why? Why would you have high anxiety when you have less control? You're smiling. Why? (laughs) Speak a wise one. Why? Now there's stuff to worry about because you can't control it. <laughs> and when you can't control it, now we've got a problem. Houston, we've got a problem. Something's out of control. So anxiety and control are proportional to each other on so many occasions. But when you become self-empty, Randy, because of Jesus, right? And boy, am I talking about myself right now. When I become self-empty, control isn't such a... My need for control goes away, or certainly is lessened. And when that goes away, all of a sudden, anxiety is not such a problem. And catching every red light or people's personalities or whatever it may be, uh, all of a sudden, it doesn't have the, uh, the, the harmful, damaging effects. That doesn't, yeah. So who's your Timothy? Who's your Paul? What kind of a friend are you? Do you have the same soul? Do you have the kind of soul that someone else could trust? Is your concern genuine or is there a hidden agenda? Is there manipulation going on? Full of yourself, empty of yourself, or like me, in process? Which one is it, full or empty? Yes, you know, you're in process with me. Proven worth? You don't have just a Sunday Sunday kind of faith. You've got an everyday faith. Is the, is the gospel really important to you? And do you have the heart of a servant? All right, let's get real practical. What is one thing, and I want, I want us to answer with single sentence, just one thing. 
What is one thing from your very wise perspective that we can do to live this out uh, at 1201? <laughs> what is one thing we can do to live this out at 1201? I called you Campbell, you're Quinn. I should have said Quimble, yes sir. Self-emptiness isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking yourself less. Boom, exactly. Very, very good. Start thinking of ourselves less. That's one thing we can do to really put practical hands and feet to this. What else can we do? That one wise thing. That's so good, Madison. This is so important in our relationships. I'm going to tell you why very quickly. Um, if you understand the gospel, you understand what is called radical acceptance. That we who are the rule breakers are radically and totally accepted by the rule maker. And it's done by grace. Okay, And how healthy that is. Now let me push it. You need to understand this. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They, they hid themselves and they made fig leaf garments. They tried to cover shame. They tried to hide, hide themselves, hide from God. Edie, this is judgment and shame. This is bad. So what happens with judgment and shame? Avoidance. Avoid, get away, get away. Get away from the person, get away from the rule maker because you broke the rules, he's going to be mad, she's going to be mad, and there is, you know what to pay. It's going to be bad. So you avoid. It's, it's a part of the shame reflex, the judgment reflex that's inside of us, and it's very, very real. Okay. When you get the gospel, you realize, Lee, you don't have to cover yourselves in fig leaves, Right? We don't have to turn our face in shame and run from God like he's going to squish us like a bug. We can actually go running to his arms and find love and safety and forgiveness. Now, yes, he disciples us in the process. Yes. I'm not going soft on sin. I'm going high on God's grace and high on God's love, which is the basis to deal with the sin as opposed to God's wrath and God's, God's anger. That's not a healthy long-term model for discipleship. Christ Church, you better get the gospel straight because it's what you go running to, not running from. What's one thing we can do to live this out? That Timothy is an example of a self-emptied person. Andrew. Lunch. Lunch. Behold. Wisdom. What else? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I feel very good about it. Yes, I love that. By the way, can Paul mess up? And did Paul mess up? Ready? Yeah. You bet. He admitted it. Yeah. Remember what he did with John Mark? Ooh. What did he do with Barnabas? Not good. Not good. Paul, you, you messed up, dude. You messed up on that one. Now, God later restored it, Andrew. There was restoration. But even Paul. Even Paul. So yeah, yeah. You got Paul esteem, you're gonna be in trouble. 
Christ esteem is where it's at. Absolutely. Someone else. One practical thing we can do. We can invite somebody to lunch. Even if you're not ready for it, bring them home. Okay. Except, what else? Anybody? Christina online says self-examination. Self-exam. Yep, yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. What did Jesus say, Christina? If you've got a speck in your eye and you think in your opinion the log's in the other person's eye, Jesus says, flip it around. You're the one with the log. What else? Otto, I think Otto's going to say something. Amy, you want to interpret for him? <laughs> okay. Anybody else on why this matters? And that one practical thing. Be observant. Why is that important, Ed? Why would you say that? Why? Well, I mean, choosing to be observant of what's going on around you and in other people's lives is choosing to not be focused on yourself. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually very wise because both Timothy and Epaphroditus are going to be Paul's eyes. Because while he's in jail in Rome, he wants these two men to dispatch the status. How are you guys doing in Philippi? Here's what's going on with me. What's going on with you? And so Paul's trying to pay attention to them, trying to give attention. One practical thing we can do, Greg. Be mindful, not mindless. There you go. Be mindful. Use the cortex God gave you. I love it. Someone else. Why does this matter? Is Stephen anybody online? Okay, this is so good. So good. So. Um... I'll add one last yes, ma'am. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's so good, Edie. Just listen. Yeah, David. Wow, yeah, yeah, that's so good. That is so good. Absolutely wonderful. Okay, you guys have done so well today. Um, let me add one thing I would want you to do. Um, there are people who are not here right now. And during the week, they'll, they'll, I get texts now and again and say, hey, Chris. Or I'll say, hey, we missed you. You know, doing some follow-up. I'm trying to Ed, pay attention. Do some follow-up and think of others. And I say, hey, you know what? I hadn't been in a while, and not one person has asked me to come back. Or not one person has checked on me. That's okay. I understand. I'm checking on you. <laughs> I'm checking on you right now. Come on. Let's go. Now, some people aren't here because they are terrified of social dynamics. Right now. I get it. I get it. Uh, some aren't here because this is what they've been wanting for a long time. A really long vacation. They want those three-day vacations, you know or at least two, two day, two and a half day vacations. This is ha, what I've been wanting all along. I've got enough podcasts to give me all the Jesus I need. I'm staying home. You know, there's lots of reasons why folks aren't here. Okay. But wouldn't it be a tragedy if they're not here because they feel like they weren't loved? Now we got a problem. Yeah, yeah. When we are full of ourselves, that will happen. When we are self-empty, there will be a kindred spirit. There will be a genuine love. There will be an effort to look for the interests of others, as Quinn has said. And we're going to be proven. We're going to, we're going to prove ourselves faithful in this. And we're going to make it about Jesus. And we're going to have a servant's attitude. Yeah. Beautiful stuff.
I want to pray for us. Um, Abba Father, this is just, boy, it gets exactly where we are and what goes on inside of us. Those places where we want to hold on to and, and maintain control. Uh, Abba Father, I ask in your grace that we, through the Spirit, release it all and we become fully self-emptied and fully focused on your Son, Jesus, just like Paul. Lord, I love you and I thank you. And I thank you for each person that's here and how they've spoken wisdom and they've spoken truth and grace. And those online, please bless and encourage them. Please. Lord, help us to be the Timothy to a Paul. Help us to be the Paul to a Timothy. Help us to understand that we're a church and we should follow the example of a Timothy. Help us to be the kind of Timothy a church would appreciate and, and, and benefit from. Well, I love you and I thank you that you've not given up on us and you expect us to not give up on each other. Please bless. In Jesus' name, amen.